This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Micah, chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Holy God, incomparable God, our mighty Redeemer, we come and we take refuge in you, in your holiness, in your grace, in your power. And Lord, we are so desperate again to hear the word of your grace, the assurance of your forgiveness. We come to you with our sinful, unsteady, unbelieving hearts and ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak the word of the gospel powerfully to us, stir up our faith in Christ and give us great, glorious assurance in who he is for us. In his mighty name we pray, amen. I want to begin this afternoon by reading to you a paragraph from one of Ernest Hemingway's short stories. He writes, Madrid is full of boys named Paco, which is a diminutive of the name Francisco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And how a squadron of the Civil Guard had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who showed up to respond to the advertisement. There's a sadness to that joke, isn't there? Because it speaks to this universal longing to be forgiven. And often, even the very best and most accomplished and most successful of people have a deep sense of unworthiness, a vague feeling that they've done something wrong or that they are somehow wrong in some way, a feeling of unworthiness, a worry that we are unloved, perhaps unlovable. And it's really why we're here today and why we come every Sunday. You know, TICF, we have quite a clumsy and unworthy name, TBLC International Christian Fellowship. And this makes me wonder, maybe we should change the name of our church to be 800 Pacos, because that's who we are today, right? We're all Pacos who've shown up hearing a rumor of a God who forgives and accepts and embraces, hoping against hope that that word somehow is meant for us. Because I think there are many people, even in the church, who spend their lives feeling unforgiven. Many people who are exhausting themselves doing things for God who've given a lifetime in ministry, who feel unworthy, unloved, perhaps unlovable. In Hemingway's joke, of course, at least 799 Pacos go away from the hotel disappointed. That never happens in the kingdom of God. Because God does not want a single sinner to escape his embrace. 
to fail to receive his mysterious, generous gift of total forgiveness. That is a message we should never tire of hearing. I was in a little Baptist church once, and after the hymns were sung, the preacher got up to the pulpit, and he paused for a long time, and he said, you know, I had a whole message prepared, but my heart feels very weary, and I just want to talk about forgiveness today. I want to talk about God's forgiveness, because right now, that's what I need to hear for myself. That's what I need to hear for myself today, and if you want to hear that for yourself today, this is a Sunday I want to invite you, God wants to invite you just to soak in the good news of God's forgiveness. This is not a bait and switch. I don't have a long list of tasks for you to do at the end. I just want you to enjoy and receive and feel yourself embraced and forgiven by God. And if you're not a Christian, if you somehow wandered in here by mistake, thinking that 800 Pacos was a dive bar or something, you're very welcome here. And God has this message for you too that he's holding out as his gift. Because this is actually just a hospital for sinners of tired, broken, weary people who somehow are loved by God and cleansed and forgiven by him. These three verses of Micah I just read for you come at the very end of his seven-chapter book, and they're an exaltation in the forgiving nature of Israel's God. And make no mistake, as you read this prophet and you read the other prophets of Israel, the people of God really need forgiveness. They're pretty crappy people. And Micah confronts the social and the personal sins of these people, their iniquities, their crimes, their evil, their selfishness, and their idolatry, and their perversion and unfaithfulness. And what Micah and the other prophets are doing is simply holding up a mirror in front of God's people saying, look at yourself. Look at yourself. They're confronting the people of God with the truth about who they really are. This is the reason why prophets are so unpopular, because they're truth-tellers. And we're all afraid of hearing the truth about ourselves, because we know it's not so pretty. So why does God send these prophets? Why does God commission and call these truth-tellers? Is it because God wants to rub our noses in what we've done? To make us feel ashamed and gross and dirty and hating ourselves? to kind of reinforce this feeling of unloveliness and unlovableness that we have? No. God wants us to feel the truth about ourselves because it's the very first step back to the healing and reconciliation that God wants us to experience. Imagine a very broken marriage. Terrible things have been done. Terrible things have been said. And this couple is teetering on the edge of divorce. If there was going to be any hope for that relationship to be patched up, mended, made whole, for the place of anger and bitterness to somehow become a place of love and gentleness and kindness, there are going to have to be some hard conversations, aren't there? There are going to have to be some uncomfortable truths that are going to have to be spoken, and even harder, uncomfortable truths that will have to be received and listened to and acknowledged. And these two wounded people are going to have to listen to each other and own up to the ways that they have hurt each other. And as long as there is denial and defensiveness and resistance, that relationship can never be healed. That story about Ernest Hemingway I found in Miroslav Volf's book called Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving, 
in a culture stripped of grace. And he shares Hemingway's joke about Pablo. And he says, you know, forgiveness, real forgiveness, deep, profound forgiveness that really changes people when evil has been done, when relationships have been, have been broken, always has two sides. There's a negative side and a positive side. Forgiveness can only happen when the hard truth is spoken, when the hard truth is owned up to. And he imagines Pablo or Paco meeting up with his father at the hotel, and his father is going to tell his son some hard things. He's going to say, Paco, your mother cried her eyes out after you disappeared without a word. You took all our money that we'd been saving for our retirement, for health problems. You wasted it all on prostitutes and drugs. You've squandered every penny of it. And you deeply hurt both of us. You have done a very bad thing, my son. And if Paco cannot receive that, if he can't bow his head and acknowledge that, if he's resistant, if he's defensive, if he refuses to acknowledge he's done anything wrong, if he begins to point his finger at his father and blame him, he cannot be forgiven. Not because his father doesn't want him to be forgiven, but because the son is refusing to open his hands and take what his father wants to give. But if he's willing to receive the truth about himself, to nod his head and agree that's what he's done, then something wonderful might happen. And he'll hear his father saying something like this, Paco, my son, all this is true. But have you looked in the mirror lately? You don't look at all well. And your mother and I have decided we are going to forgive you because you are our son. We do not count it against you. Come here, give your old man a hug, and we're going to go home together. At its heart, the Christian faith is about being embraced by a forgiving God. And the air that we breathe in day after day, week after week, is the wonderful, mysterious, unaccountable grace of God in which we live and we move and we have our being. You know, we don't come here and sing and worship and raise our hands because we're better than everybody else, because we have our lives together and we feel superior to the sinners around us. We're here exulting in the surprising reality that although we are just as bad and maybe even worse than the people around us, somehow we're loved by God, somehow we're forgiven, Somehow we're washed clean. Somehow the sins that burden us and weigh us down, we've been set free from. And we're coming and gathering week after week to sing this song. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives transgressions? That is the chorus that the people of God come back to again and again and again. You are a God who forgives sins. And as we go on in our walk with God, as we go on following Jesus, we find that our need for forgiveness and our hunger for the grace of God doesn't vanish away as we become stronger. We realize we need this forgiveness more deeply, more profoundly than we ever knew. You know, there are so many things to praise God for because his glory is unlimited and the light of his presence flashes through so many facets. And as we gaze on God, we discover that the fuel for our worship never ends. We praise God for his glory, for his power, his might, his knowledge, 
his wisdom, his justice, his sovereignty. We boast in his mighty works. We testify of his great acts in our lives. But the chorus we return to again and again is that he pardons our sins. He forgives our iniquities. And that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. God pardons our sins. He tears up the record against us. He releases us from the chains of shame and guilt that have bound us so tightly. And he sponges our record completely clean. You are pardoned. No more fear of punishment or anger or judgment remains. And God forgives our transgressions. This burden of guilt and shame, this crushing burden of our sin and its terrible consequences, God lifts off our shoulders. And he no longer looks at you as dirty and stained and unworthy and unlovable, but he chooses to remember your evil no more. Somehow, God drowns it in the sea of his own forgetfulness, never to bring it up again. Your sins that God has forgiven are never going to emerge to somehow obstruct or violate your relationship with God. They're just no longer a factor. And then, forgiven and pardoned, we stand up straight, overwhelmed and amazed, and we join too in this great chant of exaltation, in this forgiving pardoning, guilt-releasing God. This God is incomparable. There is no God like this God. And here's what we assure ourselves with. When we're afraid to go back to God, when we know we've messed up, we've sinned, and we're afraid that God is not going to accept us, that he's angry with us, we console ourselves with this thought. You do not stay angry forever but you delight to show mercy. God delights in mercy, not anger. In a way, anger is a strange work of God. And he condemns and punishes only with great reluctance. After much long suffering and pleading with sinners, for he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Scripture never tells us that God delights in wrath and judgment and destruction. But it does teach us again and again, God delights in mercy. He rejoices in forgiveness. And Jesus told us that there is great rejoicing in the presence of the angels when a single Paco returns to God and comes home to his father and repents. I would say that forgiveness gives God joy, but that's not quite theologically precise because nothing can give God joy. Forgiveness comes out of God's overflowing joy. God is love. And at the center of all reality is this burning, fiery core of the love of God. An inexhaustible fountain that is eternally coming up and endlessly overflowing from God to his creatures. Which means that when you return to God, nervous and hesitant and trembling, the evil one whispering accusations in your ear, trying to hold you back from coming to God. God doesn't open his door and start screaming at you and berating you and tearing a strip off of you, pouring out his frustration and disappointment and resentment at you. While you are yet a long way off, he sees you and he comes running towards you. 
And to your surprise, God is smiling. He's so happy that you are coming home. And he opens his arms, and he grasps you tight in his embrace, and then he puts the ring on your finger and the robe around your shoulders and invites you back home for a party that goes on long into the night. You are always welcome back home with God. You are always welcome back home with God. No matter what you've done, what you are afraid to tell anyone else in your life, what you are afraid even to say out loud to yourself, is no obstacle to you coming back home to God. He will be so happy to have you back where you belong with him. Here's Micah's expression of faith in God's welcome. You will again have compassion on us. Compassion is not something bad people naturally expect from God. Isn't that amazing? Your sin calls forth, of all things, the compassion of God. Because as a father pities his children, so the Lord your God pities you. And there you are somehow, all tangled up in a mess of your own making. You can only blame yourself for the place you've gotten into. And God looks at you and he's deeply concerned that his child is in bondage. He's moved that you are suffering. God comes not to blame, but to rescue. Not to condemn, but to save. Not to punish, but to forgive and restore and heal all your diseases. And it is true, if we're honest, that our biggest problems are ones of our own making. We want to blame others, we want to blame circumstances, we want to blame God, but ultimately, we're the ones who can't seem to stop ourselves messing things up for ourselves. It's true for Israel, too. And if you read through the Old Testament, it's a sad story of the people of God making these incredible promises of faithfulness to God and then inevitably betraying him. That's why Bruce Waltke writes, Israel's sin, not the power of pagans, is the real enemy that defeats them. Israel's sin, not the power of pagans, is the real enemy that defeats them. It's not the Egyptians. It's not the Assyrians, it's not the Babylonians, it's not the Persians, it's not the Greeks, it's not the Romans. Their own sins are the real enemy that defeats them. And what they need and what we need is God somehow to conquer our worst impulses, our self-destructive tendencies that damage relationships, separate us from God, and hollow us out from the inside. That's what we really need. It's our sin. Not the power of pagans, not the power of circumstances. Our sin is the real enemy that defeats us and which we are powerless to overcome ourselves. Here's what real forgiveness means. You will tread our sins underfoot. When God forgives, he brings release and victory over the evil in our own hearts. When we come to God with our sins, he stomps them underfoot, totally crushing, subjugating them, nullifying their power to bring shame and guilt on you, 
to control your life, to dominate and enslave you. God crushes that and breaks that. And more than that, Micah says, he will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. We don't have the time this afternoon to really roll up our sleeves and dig into the book of Micah, but there's this analogy that he develops with the exodus from Egypt. It's quite explicit in Micah chapter 7. When God rescued Israel from slavery to, to Pharaoh in Egypt, and as they fled the land of Egypt toward the promised land, God drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And that's a story of God's total victory over the forces that kept God's people in bondage. How many horses and chariots remained after the floodwaters covered that army? Not a single one. God's people were alone on the other side, singing the song of victory. And now in this chapter, Micah is prophetically picturing a new and greater Exodus story when God is going to act in power to bring about the liberation to which the first Exodus was only pointing, freedom from sin. And now it's not Pharaoh and his horses and chariots that are being thrown into the Red Sea. God is taking your sins and my sins and drowning them in the waters of salvation. It's a mystery that we can't understand, but somehow God is able to separate me from my sin. And instead of me being the one who's crushed underfoot, instead of me being the one who's flung and drowned in the waters of the sea, God separates my sin from me and he destroys my sin and leads me and you through the waters of the Red Sea into the land of freedom to sing a new song of Miriam on the other side, lifting up praise and exaltation to the incomparable divine warrior who intervenes powerfully to rescue us. And all of this by the astonishing grace of God. The thing about forgiveness, which is why we struggle to forgive, is that forgiving is always a gratuitous act. It cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. It's a free act by the forgiver where they choose to release the offender. And therefore, forgiveness can never be earned, can never be merited, can never be demanded. If you want to be forgiven by God, that is not the road to forgiveness. So how on earth then can Micah be so confident, so buoyant, so joyful? After all his searing condemnation of the people of Israel, him announcing God's fiery judgment over their sins and their iniquities and crimes, how can Micah conclude this book by being so joyful and exultant and celebratory? You will be faithful to Jacob, and you will show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Here is the anchor for the people of God. Not our faithfulness, not our promises, not our resolution, not our righteousness. God's faithfulness, God's promises, God's resolutions, God's righteousness and justice. Because even when we are faithless, God abides faithful. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. 
When God promises, he always fulfills that promise. There was a time before God's covenant with Abraham when he was free to forgive or not to forgive. But once God has made a promise, he has bound himself with an oath. And that is our bedrock. That is our foundation. That is our anchor. That is what the people of God, broken by their sin, covered with shame, overwhelmed by their guilt, that is the ground of their hope. And when they go back to God in prayer, that is what the basis of their plea is. God, you are faithful. God, you are merciful. God, you are a God of love. And you delight in mercy. And here I am, God, sinful, fallen, bruised, broken. I have really hurt other people. I have really grieved your spirit. And all I can do is throw myself on your mercy and entrust myself to your character. God is love. And the measure of his love is not your worth but his own infinite character. Micah 7 is one of the high points of the Old Testament. And this prophet had a firm expectation, even though he didn't know exactly how it was going to work out, that somehow in the future, God was going to do something. He was going to reveal his power and righteousness and grace to rescue his people once and for all from their sin and their guilt and their shame. Micah could only dimly see the day of Christ. There were stanzas to his song of worship that were yet to be written. God sent his son into the world, Israel's Messiah, the hope of the nations, not to condemn the world, but to save it. Not to inflict God's punishment on us, to take our punishment on himself. You know, I learned reading and studying these few verses that the Hebrew word for forgive used here, one of its meanings is to carry. To carry. God lifts your sin off of you to carry it himself. The sin that's crushing you, that is far too much for you to bear, God carries that himself. You might remember reading through the book of Genesis when God made that covenant with Abraham. He had Abraham set out all these animals and birds cut in half. There was like a pathway with with these corpses of animals on either side. And that night, he put Abraham into deep, deep sleep. And then God, remember, walked through by the torchlight. God walked through those animals. And it was a deeply symbolic and ritual action. Because when people would do that, when they would make a covenant, literally cut a covenant, they would have this ceremony to say, this is what will happen to either party who violates the terms of the covenant. And both of the signatories to the covenant would take a turn walking through the animals as a promise of how solemn this vow was, calling a curse on their own head in advance if they would break this covenant. And the amazing thing about that story is God does not make Abraham walk between the animals. God alone walks between the animals. God invites a curse on himself if he should break the covenant, which will never happen. God also takes on himself humanity's curse if they break the covenant, which happens over and over and over again. 
we are all here as covenant breakers today. Oh, we have promised great things to God, have we not? Some of these worship songs we sing, I find myself going, wow, can I really say that in faith? And week after week, I come back here thinking, ah, Lord, I have failed again. Who am I to be here? And God reminds me and you today, you are not the one who has had to walk between the animals to take on yourself the blood and the knife and the punishment. I alone take that on myself. And when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2, he forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This is our confidence. This is our claim upon God. This is the reason we come again and again boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need. Not because we're so great, because we're so righteous, because we're so holy. We're not. But because Jesus has died in our place and he's covered us with his blood and we're united in, with him and clothed with him. And therefore, we can come to God with joy and with boldness. Do you know that if you are a Christian, you now have a claim upon God? First John says that if we sin, which we all do, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Once you have put your faith in Jesus, if you came to God and said, oh God, I've sinned again, please forgive me, and God refused, he would be an unjust God. It would be evil and unrighteous for God now to hold your sin against you. Because all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt and punishment have been absorbed and exhausted on the cross by Jesus, our high priest, our sacrifice, our advocate. And so we join in the song of Micah. In fact, we come and we add our own verses to the song, do we not? All of us little Pacos, we have our own story of redemption to tell. And in fact, when we go and we join in the heavenly choir, singing, worthy is the lamb to receive power and glory and honor, who is like this God? There's something we can sing about that even the angels and archangels, the cherubim and the seraphim do not know, which is the joy of being a forgiven sinner. Their burning eyes penetrate far more into the mysteries of God than our own do, but they do not know what it means to be released from guilt, to be freed from shame, to be cleansed from our sins. And you know what? This afternoon, God wants every single person here to live in the good of that forgiveness. Are you living in the good of that forgiveness? Is your heart open to God, rejoicing, singing joyfully of his grace in your life? Are you somehow closed, protecting yourself, afraid of God, feeling unworthy? Our Heavenly Father does not want a single person to walk out these doors feeling that way. He wants you to come to his son for the first time or the thousandth time and lay your hands on him to name your evil and your sin before God and know that Jesus himself has carried your sins away into the land of God's forgetfulness.
If you're here and all of this is brand new to you, we want to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to take you by the hand and lead you to Jesus. If there's a friend who brought you, I'm sure they would love to speak with you. I would love to chat with you afterwards. We want you to know this. And we want every single person here to know this. Whether you're the pastor preaching this right now, someone who's been ministering overseas for 20 years, God wants you to experience the fullness of joy that he has for you. Shall we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to make this our own song? Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the gift of your Son. We exult in your gratuitous forgiveness. Lord, who are we to stand before you, this holy, pure, majestic, terrifying God, to be clothed in white, to be welcomed, to see a smile upon your face? And these sins which have caused us so, many, so much anxiety somehow are no longer to be found. All we can do is thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son. And Lord, now give us the second gift, the only gift that can equal your Son, the gift of your Spirit, to seal upon our hearts our own forgiveness. Lord, if anyone's conscience here is burdened, if anyone feels gross and dirty and shameful, oh, Spirit, point them towards Christ. And may he be greatly magnified in our hearts today as we trust him with our sin, with our guilt, with our very selves. Oh, we thank you. We bless you. We worship you. There is no God like you. There is no grace like yours. We pray this. In the incomparable name of your Son, our Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.